Welcome, gather round the fireside and listen to a tale of Yon McCool, Cullen, Deirdre of the Sorrows, Grawn, New Whale. From giants right down to fairies, of both the trooping and solitary, and close to us, sometimes scary. Anything goes by the fireside. Yeah. Fireside, the Buka Fireside, the Merrow Fireside. Kings and queens fighting heroes, don't you run from the fun, there's no need to hide. Sit by the fireside. Mm. Fireside. Hello and welcome to Fireside, the Irish storytelling podcast. Each episode of Fireside we take a story from folklore and mythology, retell it, have a chat about the tale itself and about the craft, the culture, the history of storytelling. My name is Kevin C. Olihan. I'm your host and your Fireside Bard. Welcome to episode 73 of Fireside, the Irish storytelling podcast. Today's episode is all about a prince, a princess and the devil. But before we get on to that, if you're, it's your first time listening to the podcast, you're very welcome along. Why not head back to the very beginning, all those episodes ago, and see what we've been building up to over the last year and a half. If you're a returning listener, thank you so, so much. This is, again, I've lost count how many episodes this has been of the, the quarantine edition of this Irish Storytelling Podcast we're coming to you not from the beautiful surroundings of the Headstuff Podcast Network Studios, but from my family home in Wicklow Town in County Wicklow, where I am isolated in my little <clears throat> home studio booth, which I'm very grateful for, very grateful for the equipment I have and to be able to keep producing this podcast each and every week, and that you have all responded so much to this podcast in isolation. It's been fantastic to hear from so many of you uh, and how you're all getting on and just to hear that this podcast is even helping you when you go out for your morning walk whether that's your only time out of the house a day or when you're exercising or whenever you or when you're in bed whenever you do listen to Fireside and get your weekly dose of storytelling and just some small relief from the ensuing dread and stress of the time that it is and speaking of dread and stress, if you enjoy the podcast, please do continue to like, subscribe, leave comments and ratings wherever you get your podcast. Please do follow me on Instagram at Fireside Bard. It's the best place to see what's going on with me and with the podcast and to get in touch with me. And if you really do want to support the podcast, you can do so at patreon.com forward slash Fireside Podcast. It has been, I've been so incredibly grateful to those those of you who have continue to support the podcast on Patreon and particularly those who have supported it for the first time over the last couple of months because this is the time where money has been the scarcest as it has ever been for so many of us especially those of us in the arts uh, but not at all mutually exclusive to that that's just obviously the world I'm in so I can see the most of it and I have so many close friends who are involved in that as well but really any industry that hasn't been deemed essential over this time has been put financially into a very difficult corner, which we all will overcome sooner rather than later, of course. But things like the Patreon have really been 
more of an incentive than anything, but to be receiving any kind of monetary income at this time, especially for something I enjoy doing as much as this, is incredible. So I want to have a big welcome to Hannah McCartney, who I think was this week's newest one. I don't know if she had joined me last I don't think she had joined me last week, but welcome, Hannah. She joins uh, the very generous Caitlin Quinn and a new person called M. That's all we have, just M. That's what I love about Patreon. Sometimes it can be their full given name, sometimes it can just be a name they've picked. But welcome, M. Are you M as in James Bond's M, James Bond's boss? If so, delighted to meet you, and you're very welcome along to the Patreon family. So M, Hannah McCartney, and Caitlin, Caitlin Quinn are the most recent, and joining the, the growing family of Patreon supporters, and I love each and every one of you so much, I can't put into words. So thank you so much, and please do let me know if there's anything, any stories you want to hear, or anything you want from this podcast that you're so kindly supporting. And that goes for any of you who listen to this, whether you pay or whether you listen to it for free. Always do keep in touch with me. Let me know what you're thinking of the podcast, what you're enjoying, even what you're not enjoying. But I will now get down to the story. For this week, we continue looking at Wicklow Folk Tales by Brendan Nolan. Um, <clears throat> or should I say it, my continuing of my adaptation of some Wicklow Folk Tales from Brendan Nolan. This is a story I was really looking forward to telling this story actually because a lot of the Wicklow stories I should clarify again, the Wicklow town is is where I'm from, it's where my family home is, it's where I am right now. And I had always had this book of Wicklow folk tales that when I started the podcast I wanted to get around to at some stage so I thought no better time than when I am actually quarantined in Wicklow because I usually live up in Dublin City and it's been great it's there hasn't been any overlaps to stories from other books that I have which has sometimes happened as well but a thing about Wicklow Wicklow's not a particularly big county I think it's about the ninth biggest county in Ireland I could that sounds about right, but I could equally just be making that up. The stories that we've been doing from Wicklow so far, to cut a long story boring, have been from places in Wicklow that I wouldn't know as much, um, particularly in West Wicklow. I'm in East Wicklow, and we always like to say West Wicklow isn't really Wicklow at all, because it's so far away. Um, I'm right on the coastline, and I suppose that's just a real, when you're from a county town, that's a real attitude you have there. But this story is a story from down the road from me. This is a this is a place I've been many, many times. And this is a place that was very much a part of growing up in Wicklow. And so I was really looking forward to telling the story of this. And I'll let the story speak for itself. And we'll talk a bit more afterwards. But this is The Devil is in the Glen on Fireside. <laughs> the Devil is in the Glen. From the village of Ashford, follow a steep road, steep even by the already steep standards of County Wicklow, and you will come to the Devil's Glen, a forest woodland where travellers have walked, trekkers have camped, and the youths have raved. And once upon a time, they say that within the glen lurked a beast from hell. There was once a beautiful daughter of a local chieftain named Aoife. 
This princess broke the hearts of all eligible bachelors around the day she decided to enter the convent and become a nun. But many were not so easily deterred. At that time, the high stone bricks of the convent lay deep within the Wicklow woods, and its tall stone cross cast a shadow over the hills. Day after day, prospective suitors would venture through the woods and walk into the convent and attempt to woo Aoife, and to convince her to abandon the religious life and to be their bride. But each and every one left empty-handed. Then there was a prince who thought that he would be the one to change Aoife's mind. He made the long and arduous trek deep and high into the Wicklow Hills to the convent of his beloved. But on the trail, the priest met a strange, sallow-skinned man. They decided they would walk together, to allow the journey to go faster. But things soon began to sour, when the prince realised the fellow traveller was also intending to woo Aoife. And things nearly came to blows, when the stranger proclaimed that there was no woman alive who could not be wooed by either beauty or riches. The prince vehemently disagreed with this statement, so the stranger made a proposition. How about I attempt to woo the princess with just beauty on one day, and failing that, riches on the second? If she refuses both times, she's all yours. The prince was initially reluctant to let the stranger into the convent before him, but he also wanted to woo Aoife for the right reasons. The prince believed that when they met, he and Aoife would both fall madly in love with one another. And the prince wanted to marry her because she loved him, not because he had gotten to her first. You're on, said the prince. The two agreed that they would meet the following day outside the convent at noon. The prince duly showed up the following day, but could see no sign of the sallow-skinned man. But then he heard the great thundering sound of trumpets, and as he turned and looked to the top of the hill, he saw a train of attendants before a stunning chieftain on horseback, all riding toward the convent. The man on the horse could not even said to be handsome. He was nothing short of beautiful. His features in perfect symmetry, his hair tight and groomed. You'd even be attempted to ask the horse what he was doing later. The prince felt utterly cheated. The vision on horseback was not the same man he had walked to the convent with the day before, and if he was, there was sorcery afoot. The prince attempted to halt the train of attendants, but he was brushed aside like a fallen leaf. More so... When the prince was touched by one of the stranger's footmen, he lost all control of his senses. He could not walk. He could not speak. He lay there helpless as the train of the gorgeous chieftain entered the convent. Fortunately for the prince, they all soon emerged, and the chieftain did not look happy. He rode right up to the prince, who was still lying immobile on the ground, and said, Beauty may have failed, but riches never do. I'll see you tomorrow. The prince longed to respond, but he was still unable to speak. That was until the entire train of attendants had disappeared over the hill. 
Then the effects of the enchantment wore off, and the prince could walk and speak once more. The prince debated climbing the wall and approaching the fair lady Aoife himself that night, but the effects of the spell had left him weak, and so the prince fell into a heavy, deep slumber. That night, the prince dreamed that a water fairy came to him, and she said, I am the she of the Vartry River. It is my desire that the rivers should splash and splatter all over these hills. You, fair prince, will make my dream a reality. The next morning, the prince awoke, not sure if the strange dream had been further trickery from the stranger or after effects from the initial spell. But once he regained his senses, he awaited the return of the sallow-skinned man. At noon, the stranger returned, this time with a train of attendants carrying barrels and chests full of gold and jewels. He himself was adorned in gold and silk, with a crown not seen off the head of an English king. The prince joined the train behind the sallow-skinned man in the guise of the chieftain, and watched him approach the beautiful young nun, Aoife. Fair maiden, you saw past my own looks yesterday, and for that I respect and desire you all the more. Today I have brought you a kingdom worth of treasure, and I long to share it with you. But Aoife patiently smiled and said, I thank you for the journey you have made today, but as I said to you yesterday, I no longer have any interest in looks or riches. My life belongs to this convent now. The stranger saw that he was Sisyphus, and that Aoife was his boulder. So he did what any desperate man would do. He did the attractive thing, and got down on his knees and begged. When his foe dropped to his knees, the prince, who was still hiding behind, began to smile. The stranger had failed, and was now embarrassing himself. The prince was delighted to have a front row seat. But his delight soon turned to horror, when the prince saw underneath the chieftain's cloak was a red, pointy tail. The stranger was the devil himself. Quite literally. Not wanting any harm to come to his beloved Aoife, the prince rummaged through his belongings and found his set of rosary beads. If he was face to face with the face of evil, it was really the only thing for it. The prince cast the rosary beads like a carnival ring-toss game and they landed right on the tail of the beast. Quite suddenly, the devil's chieftain disguise melted away and he was revealed to his full red and beastly form, and he began to thrash and writhe in pain as the beads burned his tail. He was like a dog, chasing itself round to remove the prayer beads without further burning himself. Once he successfully flicked them off, the devil needed to cool his throbbing, burning tail. You'd think he'd be used to the fire. He ran to the stream, but as chance would have it, it was the exact time of day when the stone cross of the nunnery cast a perfect shadow over the waters. And when the devil tried to enter, he burned in the holy shadow. The beast then began to kick and dig and throw, carving the landscape into a deep glen. 
the river water could now overflow into the cloven glen and created a powerful waterfall, the sound of which overpowered even the cries of the devil. This fulfilled the fairy's prophecy, that the prince would cause the river to dance and play in the Wicklow Hills. Once he had regained his senses, the devil went to find the prince to make him suffer for what he had done. But the prince just flashed those rosary beads, and having been burned too much for one day, the devil disappeared. Now unopposed and full of heroic vigour, the prince revealed himself to his beloved Eva and said he had rescued her from the devil and offered her no beauty or riches, but instead true love. That he wanted to take her far away, to a land of beauty and riches. Again, Aoife smiled patiently and said, I thank you for your heroic deeds, but again, I'm not going to leave this nunnery. The prince really hadn't expected this, but since he couldn't convince Aoife to leave the nunnery, Aoife actually convinced the prince to become a monk at the nearby seminary. The priest secretly held out hope that if he was near to her, eventually he could convince Aoife to marry him. But if he ever did, there were no storytellers around to hear the tale. And the wooded area of the Wicklow Hill was forevermore called the Devil's Glen, and when travellers approach its mighty waterfall, if they listen closely, it's still thought that through the waters they can hear the cry of the beast. The End And that is the story of the Devil in the Glen. The Devil in the Glen of Devil's Glen on Fireside. I hope you enjoyed it. Yes, the Devil's Glen. Let me know if any of you have been there. Particularly, <clears throat> well, yes, from both points of view. Any any tourists, any people from other countries who visited Ireland and have made their way through Wicklow, if any of you have been to the Devil's Glen, or if any Irish people have any from Wicklow or otherwise have been to the Devil's Glen. I was most recently in Devil's Glen in week one or two of the lockdown, I think. Yes, before the two kilometre rule came in and we could go a little bit further. I was being a bit more adventurous with my walks. The Devil's Glen is about, oh, I want to say about five or six kilometres outside of Wicklow town. Yeah, you have to go to, well, I have to go to Ashford which is like two villages over and then go up the tallest, steepest hill and you get to Devil's Glen, which is an incredible, incredible walk. It's really, it's really deep and beautiful. And I really think it's, it's kind of what Wicklow's all about. I can't get over my voice just cracking like that of a Monday, of a Monday morning. Sounds like I was on the sesh all night last night which I don't have to assure you that I wasn't as I haven't been in a long long time but yes I did have a very adventurous camping trip in the Devil's Glen years ago about seven or eight years ago now and 
the guards were actually called on us at about three or four in the morning because we were drinking and being merry and saying why not and having lots of merry sing-songs and the guards came up but I think the guards were more worried that we were raving and that there was more than drinking going on because the Devil's Glen had actually been a real serious hotspot for raves uh, through the 90s to the big rave culture and I think even more recently if any of you have seen the Irish film Dublin Old School which came out a couple of years ago based on an incredible incredible play by Emmett Kerwin one of the best plays I've ever seen live done as a two-hander but they made a they made a film of it a couple of years ago very good film with one of my best friends Liam Heslin I don't mind giving a plug to playing an incredible character called Dave the Rave but the whole film is about uh, rave culture and it has a, a rave in the woods at the end in 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 Wicklow actually not in the Dells Glen more in, in Blessington I think is where they shot it but it really echoes what the culture was which is about going into finding an old wooded glen and just dancing there in the woods for hours and nights on end if anyone's ever been to Electric Picnic they know all about the rave in the woods there's something that like about rave music and and strobe lights that you wouldn't think would naturally fit in a forest scenario but it really 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 does and it's just even making me sad that all of the festivals have been cancelled for the summer which of course they have but we will we will all rave again but yes when the guards were called to us on our humble camping trip in Devil's Glen I think they were revealed to see that we weren't raving we were just having a few cans and singing a few songs and he looked at all of us and he said well I can see you're all local so it's okay and I just I looked around myself and we were not by any means all local I mean like even those of us that were from Wicklow, we were from Wicklow Town, you know, just a, li- a little bit away. We were hardly from the Devil's Glen. I thought it was a funny thing to say, but we were left to our own devices then, and we did not in any way quiet down. But it's a great place for camping trip, and it's just, because it's just very spooky. Anyway, I call the Devil's Glen is naturally going to be spooky, and it's great to know this story of it and I hope it was interesting to you because I obviously loved it having being able to visualize this but I hope you enjoyed it those of you who may not even have heard of this place before there is even like other stories as to why it's called the Devil's Glen because during the 1798 rebellion I think it was I think it was that rebellion um, there was Wicklow rebels who retreated into the Devil's Glen to hide from the British forces and the only way they could, and they smoked them out basically, they set the forest on fire to try and rout the rebels. And there are still burnt stumps from when the forest was burned that are thought to be like the devil's teeth. So that's another reason why the name the, name, the Devil's Glen has stuck. But the waterfall itself is incredible. Uh, Powers Court is really a waterfall that gets all the attention when it comes to Wicklow waterfalls. But the one in the Devil's Glen is incredible as well. I was there quite recently. I think I uploaded something to my Instagram about it. I don't know. That may have been just a story. 
I promise you I did not go once the two kilometer rule has been had been put in place but hopefully I can go again soon because it's a great place especially in the summer and this was a great story to tell so I hope you enjoyed it it was kind of different um, and again it's quite European folklore where it's you know a prince and a princess we're more used to just a young lad or a young girl you know but this was nice that it kind of had a bit of a fairy tale feel to it I was reading a blog this is actually an interesting point about the devil in Irish folklore I was reading a blog that I've been a huge fan of for a couple of years called The Unshaved Mouse, which was started by a writer who had just had a daughter, his first child, and he was wondering what Disney movies he should show her first. So he rewatched the entire Disney animated canon and reviewed each of them. And they're pan-sweatingly funny. They're incredibly... There's little I love in this world and people taking Disney movies as seriously as you know, people would Citizen Kane. I love that so, so much. And they're such long, in-depth reviews. And I really, really, especially with Disney Plus now, I encourage all of you, check out Neil Sharpson and The Unshaved Mouse. But he actually has, I discovered he has a degree in folklore, or certainly did folklore in college as part of an English degree. But um, he made a point, of, I'm raging, I can't remember the film he was talking about, but the prospect of, a devil came up and he pointed out that in Irish folklore, devils are more of an inconvenience rather than an all-powerful threat. You know, there'd be a lot of Western media where the devil's arrival is, you know, he's the alpha, the omega, he is the opposite of, he's the opposite of God. And so he's unstoppable. Where is in any time we've met the devil in Irish folklore, particularly obviously with the three wishes most prominently with this story and he had an appearance I'm trying to think of his other appearances had a, a minor appearance in a hand in the dark certainly but anytime he appears he is more like an underboss he is a minor threat he seems to be very limited in his powers and he can't just he can't just kill everyone you know which i quite like it makes him a very complex character and it more kind of makes it feel like devils are like a species of fairy like they are like banshee or leprechaun or red cap you know it is a devil that's certainly how i like to view it because a lot of these devil characters don't seem like the same one if any character truly felt like the devil i would say it probably was the one in three wishes because we got to explore him so much but even then he had his various henchmen that he sent out over the course of the story but I thought it was a very very interesting point from from someone I admired quite a lot but yes as a random side plug um check out Unshade Mouse if you too like to take an academic interest in children's fairy tale movies as I do so I will wrap things up there yeah that's good um i hope you enjoyed the story i hope you're safe and sane wherever you are please do follow me on instagram at fireside bard get on to me if you have any thoughts or suggestions or if you just want to say hello you can support the patreon at patreon.com forward slash fireside podcast uh thank you to jamie my producer for continuing to edit this podcast thank you to alan paddy at headstuff i can't wait to be in the headstuff studio once again thank you all for listening Um, I'll see you all, you'll hear me all next time. And remember, wherever you are, you can always join me 
by the fireside. Thank you and goodbye. This podcast is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network.